Well, let's pray again before we look here at the cross, its prophetic and practical significance. Father in heaven, Lord, we're thankful. We spend a few moments. We've been counseled a thoughtful hour a day, but we do ask that you'd bless our 40 minutes we spend now, and we come in Christ's name. Amen. The news has been filled with uh, those who have dedicated their life to medical missionary work, and interestingly enough, someone within our own denomination recently. And uh, even today, I just pulled up a number of articles from the last 24 hours, and almost every major network is talking about Seventh-day Adventists. I read through a number of articles over the last couple of weeks. And these are the things that have been talked about in these articles. The Bible and its authority, creation and evolution, salvation, prayer and the devotional life, the second coming, the Sabbath, the mark of the beast, the sanctuary, 1844, William Miller, the state of the dead, hell, spirit of prophecy, separation of church and state, Catholicism, Islam, evangelicalism, Catholicism, Seventh-day Adventism, vegetarianism. So how many of you uh, recognize, just from what I have, uh, have shown you, that really it's kind of crazy to think, well, I'm not going to talk about my faith because no one's ever heard of it. Well, that's gone. <laughs> you know, the easiest thing to do right now to witness is to say, so, have you heard of Dr. Carson? You're off to the races. So, now, if you're a cardiologist, someone might have a heart attack. Or someone might be calmed by that. I don't know. But I'm telling you, in the last, uh, you know, 72 hours even, I have had absolutely no problem talking to anyone about uh, the tenets of Seventh-day Adventism. And, uh, like I said, Dr. Landless, even the New Star program is easy to talk about. Seventh-day Adventist Church, this is just this morning, is having a moment. <laughs> And that's not that funny. It's almost like we shouldn't be having this moment. We should have been gone by now, amen? And then even more rebukes, actually, in the, in the, in the article. The denomination is not well known, and neither are its teachings. Church officials are hoping to change that by unveiling a new website. Here's what Adventists believe in some of their beliefs. And I've seen this in at least 30 articles uh, a discussion of the prophetic heritage of Adventism and William Miller. Now, this is fascinating to me that it would be so easy to witness. How many of you are collecting the newspapers right now so you can show people? Did you see this? What do you think of that? And I want to talk about that prophecy and I want to talk about its practical implications. My big message today is that we have been very successful as a church, although in some sectors this has even been under uh, uh, less appreciated. We have been very successful in talking about the prophecies. How many of you have ever heard a discussion of Bible prophecy? Have you ever seen any slides with this on the slide? How many of you have ever seen that? Um, Maybe not the 1844 part so much because sometimes they just kind of don't talk about that as much. Of course, when I worked at an evangelism school and was in charge of a stable of evangelists, I said, you, you need to talk about that. But now it's all out. 
But my big burden is this. Since the time of my great-grandfather, who was a contemporary of, of Ellen White, and who worked with H.M.J. Richards, who was the founder of Voice of Prophecy, um, since that time, when an evangelistic campaign was nine months long, five nights a week, and I have all the notes to show it, since that time when an evangelistic campaign was to raise up a church, not to do bypass surgery on a church, since that time until now, we have uh, lost the practical application of prophecy, largely. Uh, last week I was asked to come and do some health things with someone doing a prophecy seminar, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. We're going to give you seven minutes. I said, you know, your generosity is... Underwhelming, I didn't say that, but. <laughs> and I realized that this individual and many others don't understand the power that we have with the right hand to open the door. And if I don't get to say this, I'll say it now, we need a renewed paradigm of, of, of evangelism in the Adventist church. And it has to morph to where the medical missionary part actually leads. In fact, we're told that there'll come a time when it will be the only work being done. How many think we should be learning how to do that right now? And, and, I, and I have to also say, if I don't say it any other time, that if you are led by the Lord to effectively reach people in meeting their physical needs. They will open up emotionally. They will then share their thoughts so their physical needs are met. Then they will emotionally begin to open up and they will start to change their thoughts and they will ask you about the spirituality. In fact, I've had people during this last 10 days, Dr. Nellie mentioned we are working in a depression recovery program. We had 20 20 or 22 folks in that. How many was it this time? We had 20. And I had five of them ask me to be baptized or rebaptized. I didn't ask them. They asked me about that. I was talking to Alan here in the second row. Stand up, Alan. Alan and I was at breakfast with me, and was it Jim? Jim, stand up, Jim. This is Alan and Jim. They're from Canada. Have a seat. We were kind of, we were talking about how he came into the church. Alan, Alan uh, Jim is, uh, does dental mission trips, and they take people on mission trips. And Alan said, I went to a cooking school, and the food was so good, and the people were so loving that I asked during the sixth cooking school, how is it that I could become a part of your church? Well, look, I think that is... An excellent approach. How many of you like people saying, what must I do to be saved, rather than what hinders you? <laughs> Look, 16 times in the New Testament it says, what must I do to be saved? They were so gripped with the medical missionary work in the early church, that was cross-based, by the way, that they would ask to join the church and say, what must I do? Rather than make a presentation and say, okay, are you willing to do this and this and this? How many think that that's just a little bit better? 
Now, you got to understand, I love public evangelism, and I'm not trying to diminish it, but I'm saying we need to, to, to have a new renewed paradigm. Now, let's look at this prophecy. Oh, this is such a great prophecy when you really look at it. The cross and its prophetic and practical significance, this is the give me five principle. I want you to notice something. It starts 457, which is, which is the cleansing of the sanctuary. It ends 1844, the rebuilding of the sanctuary and, you know, cleansing it as well. And then 1844, what? The sanctuary again. And then right in the middle, 27 AD, what was the first, one of the first acts of Christ's ministry? Cleansing the sanctuary. He said, look, don't just do sanctuary worth to sell lambs and things that go with the service. He cleaned it up, amen? And then what was the last part of that 490 prophecy, 34 AD? Stephen dies and he points to the sanctuary as he's dying. Can you see that? Sanctuary, sanctuary, and then right in the middle of the cross. Now let's look at the practical application of this. See, the sanctuary, according to Exodus 25.8, let them make me a, that I may dwell among them. That's the whole idea. The sanctuary is coming near people that are flawed. There was a mixed multitude. There were those that weren't totally converted. That's why it took 40 years instead of 10 days. And God said, I'm, I, you know, I want this sanctuary to be among you, that I could dwell among you. This is God's heart, isn't it? Exodus 15, 26. After that great song of deliverance, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed glory to the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Then the right arm, the right hand, led them where? To the sanctuary, which was the place of, if you diligently hearken unto my voice, you will have what? Several of these diseases. None of these diseases. Amen? So the sanctuary was a place of healing. And, you know, the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, the center of the book is the Day of Atonement. But leading up to it, chapter 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you know what those chapters are about? Clean drink, clean meat, clean homes, cleaned from leprosy, clean, clean, clean. And then the chapters coming from Leviticus 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, is applying that to the membership and leadership. In other words, the way Paul summarizes this, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, which was seen in the sanctuary. How many of you think that practically speaking, your doctor's office, your dentist's office, your church should be a sanctuary of health? This is very practical. In other words, your church should be open seven days a week. We have a church now on the Weimar campus. When I got there, there was no church. I said, what in the world? Why is there no church? Well, we wanted the kids to go to the other churches. No, you need to learn here in a church with people what to do in church. One of the problems with our educational institutions many times is people are so interested in their academics, they forget how to reach out to other people. Amen? So they go four years to academy, four years to uh, college, four years for graduate school, maybe four years to specialize, and then they go, well, I just don't know how to talk to people anymore. That has to change. How many think that needs to change? And, and we have to have this organic connection between 
what we do at church and making it a place of healing. Now, I live in a city. Some people say to me, you know these big pathway events and whatnot you talk about? They never work because I live in a town that is small. You know what it says on the sign moving, uh, driving into Weimar, how the population is of Weimar? It says population 50. This is a serious flaw in the Census Bureau because we have more than that on our campus. We have like 100 and I don't know how many we have. We have 70 in the academy. We have about that many in the college. We have about anywhere from 15 to 30 in the health program plus about 70 staff. But we have been given generously a two and a half mile radius around our campus to witness to. That's our territory given to us from headquarters. Can you say amen? But that just means we have to be very careful and we build relationships with people. And you know what we've been saying to the people in our community? We have a church, it's your church. It's here for you. We have a dental clinic for you, we have eye services for you. And people are warming up in the community. It's amazing. You say, how many want your place to be a place of healing? This is some pictures uh, in my church in Wichita, which uh, when I say my church, I'd say our church, Dr. Mills and Sherry and Amy is over here, many others, Eric Nelson and whatnot. That's where he found his wife in the church. Church is not only a place of healing, it's a place of hope. <laughs> and then at Weimar, uh, Dr. Nedley came and uh, Erica came, and Erica became this like sanctuary creating tornado. Every single space at Weimar, you need to come out and see it, is turned into a, 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 a sanctuary environment for healing. Uh, she studied all the spirit of prophecy statements and different things. And, you know, there needs to be airy rooms. They need to be wide open. And I'm telling you, this place makes um, this resort look, look uh, similar. <laughs> and not only that, you know, we need to be able to turn a, a, an airport experience when I sit next to someone on the plane how is this going to be a sanctuary experience for that person I'll have my laptop and if I smell smoke I open up the stop smoking on my computer and I just review it slightly tilted <laughs> saying things like mm, mm. and it's wonderful what happens and I should, I, if I could tell you, I was mentioning to some people at the, at the breakfast table this morning, my last two plane rides. We have to be thinking, how do I turn this place, by God's grace, into a sanctuary space? Uh, pathway events. The Alamo Dome. The uh, uh, many different domes now. You know, when God's people come together in service, the place becomes a sanctuary space. A place of healing. A mission trip. A place of healing. Number two, can you see how practical this prophecy is? Thanks for a place of healing. Number two, the Messiah was there. Now when I ask people, how do you know he was the Messiah? They've been watching their evangelistic meetings for so many years, they have only one answer. What is it? When he was baptized. Is that the right answer? Sort of. It is sort of the right answer. Because he was anointed, right? But how did they really know that he was anointed? That's that next text. Luke 4, he makes a promise that he's going to let the captives go free and recovery of sight to the blind. 
But then it was really proved by, it's interesting that Luke would write these things out because Luke wanted us to know that not only did he say things, he did things. In Acts 10, 37 and 38, he says he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. Well, how do you know? What's it say next? Because he went about doing good and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. In other words, the evidence of his Messiahship was not simply and solely his baptism, but it was his healing ministry. And as he went about, people just, they could not believe it. Now, sometimes in our various seminars, there's amazing things that happen, and, and people see evidence of repentance. This is a slide showing repentance. The left occluded <laughs> descending artery on the, on the left there, this is not Brussels spouts and cabbage that are in there. This is, a, this is a, the standard American diet, the Western diet. But then notice the right side. Not only is that vessel clean, but notice all the collateral circulation as well. And when people see the evidence that came as a result of their, as a result of their confession, this is what I've been doing, and then they're listening to the prescription, then they can see a slide of repentance. How many of you think we need to be preaching more repentance that can be evidence-based? Amen? And people will start to come. In our, in our church, when it was turned into a sanctuary of health back in Wichita, when these things started to happen, you know, there, I think the first program we had 16 people. And then all kinds of people began to come as they heard the, uh, this, the what would you say, the hint of extended life. People want that. Oh, that we could be more like Jesus, though. Where he healed the blind and touched the untouchable. People would go through the roof to see Jesus. And he reached out to those no one else would reach out to. In fact, he even raised the dead. And you'd think they would have appreciated that. But what did they do? Killed him and said... When we start being involved in significant medical missionary work, the world will take notice. And amazing things can happen even in a small community or a large community. The Alamo Dome was one instance where the world church came together to do something in the city, and it was amazing to me what happened as a result. In Jesus' day, though, the ministry of healing had this to say about his health ministry. On so large a scale did he conduct his work of healing and teaching that there was no building in Palestine large enough to receive the multitudes that thronged him. You see our church growth schemes. I built a new church. It's a large church. It's actually a rebuke. If we had coupled the practical and prophetic together, and I think we need to, there would be no building large enough to hold the people coming. How many want to have that kind of problem? It's a problem. Moving on now to the center of our prof prophecy, the cross, its prophetic and practical significance. On the cross, Christ, our head, died. And on the cross, one of the, one of the texts that is quoted the most in describing the cross and then applying what happened on the cross is Isaiah 53. And on Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, it especially brings out the emotional and mental anguish. 
He's a man acquainted with and acquainted with. Those are emotions. And uh, he was bruised for our transgressions. This is a wonderful passage that speaks to emotional and mental healing and spiritual healing that occurred on the cross. And throughout the New Testament, this, this phrase, by his stripes we are healed, is applied again and again and again and again. I want to suggest to you that true healing only comes when the cross is at the center of it. How many of you believe that's true? And how many of you believe it's too, true are, are testifying to that in your practice? How many of you are finding ways to do that? Um, like I said, I think if, if, if many times people will ask you, but sometimes. Um, sometimes you need to talk with others as well. Someone was talking with me at the table the other day. They said, I'm getting up the courage to pray with my patients. Now, one of the things I've liked about these pathway events is that so many clinicians are coming together. One lady in, uh, in Spokane, uh, a dentist, was through, and I saw her crying in the corner, and I thought, man, she must be worn out. So I went over to talk to her. I said, well, I'm, I don't know what's happened, but I'm so thankful you're here. What have you been doing? She talked about how she was doing the dental services, and I said, uh, did you have a bad case? Um, uh, is there a reason that you're, you're crying? And she said to me, you don't understand. I went in to dentistry because I wanted to uplift Jesus, and I haven't prayed with a patient, really, in my practice until today. And I prayed with 30 people today. <laughs> and I saw other people praying with other people. Praise God for that, amen? amen? But, also what a pity, amen? 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 The whole purpose of our work, you read Ministry of Healing. I gave myself an assignment. I read it four times a year. And it's with our classes, right? But what I've noticed is that, what I've noticed is this. It's very interesting. Every act of healing was a time to share something about Christ and the message. Every act. Now that doesn't mean you're always talking, which happens to be one of my gifts. It could be just the way you're serving and the way you're listening. I was sitting with a man the other day on the plane who was a Sikh. You know, I just asked him question after question about his own religion, and it led to a wonderful experience where I was able to share Christ with him. Sometimes just asking about people's own lives, they can, they can lead people to Christ. Of course, with the emotional mental health, one of my great joys is working together with Dr. Nedley and a team. We would both agree that we need everybody on that team. We have about 25 people working with 20 guests. And there's people that are doing hydro with them. And there's people that are working on nutrition. And there's people that are working on massage. And there's people that are working with spiritual counseling. And there's Dr. Nedley who is looking at all the various medical things you can look at. Huge sheets of lab tests and things coming back, checking everything out, and then getting together and praying with those patients and to see the emotional healing that comes through this collaborative effort is something that's just amazing. 
Well, it's not us. It's the power of God that's really working in all of those things. When the thief died on the cross, notice what we're told came to his mind. He called to mind all that he had heard of Jesus, how he had healed the sick, how he had pardoned sin. The Holy Spirit illumined his mind, and little by little, the chain of evidence is joined together. Hope is mingled with anguish in his voice as the helpless dying soul cast himself upon the dying Savior. Lord, remember me, he cries, when thou comest into the kingdom, in thy kingdom. You see, the physical healing ministry of Christ lay the foundation for the emotional and spiritual healing. And it all worked together and came together on the cross. And this is why we must lift high the cross. Jesus can identify with us because he took our sins. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He was alone. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was abused, physically violated by others, shamed and humiliated, verbally and mentally humiliated. And this was done not just by other fellow Simple figures in society was authority figures. He was abused by Satan. He was tempted to numb the pain by medicating himself. And he asked, why have you forsaken me? He was rejected and abandoned. And, and when we help people identify with that story, how their story... How many of you have ever met someone struggling with drug addiction? But really the issue was they were abused before they got into the drug addiction. And when we help people identify with that part of the story, guess what? Then we share Jesus and say how he had victory over that part of the story. There is a power there that's nowhere else. It's not in a pill. It's not in a treatment plan. It's only available from Christ. Let me just share something that I've seen over the years of working in health evangelism, and that is this. Unless you bring Christ into health evangelism, you are setting people up for the highest form of legalism. You might think it's doing a favor. I'm being disinterestedly benevolent to not talk about Christ. Oh, no. You are teaching them things they never can do without the power of Christ. And you are creating a huge batch, not of carob brownies, but of legalists. You've got to bring the cross. The cross must be the center of it. Amen? Ellen White says the cross need to be stamped on every loaf of bread. Our cooking schools need to lead people to the bread of life and the cross. Apart from divine power, no genuine reform can be effective. Human barriers against natural and cultivated tendencies are but as a sandbag against the torrent. Not until the life of Christ becomes a vitalizing power in our lives can we resist the temptations that assail us from, without and from within and without. This is why it's important for us each day to say, God, please, I want to be reconverted today. Baptize me anew today. When the sanctuary is set up, a place of healing, and when physical healing is done and emotional healing is done, following Christ's method and model, then notice what happened next in this journey through this, uh, this, this practically poignant prophecy. It's not just the math that brings someone into the church. Look, it all adds up. No, it's, it's what Christ actually did. He created a sanctuary space. He met their needs physically, emotionally, and mentally, and spiritually. And then, then what happened, then came the acid test. Christ dies on the cross. You remember the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. 
it says that he would be cut off in the middle of the week. How many remember the prophecy? But not for himself. So he was cut off. What would his disciples do had his evangelism school been effective? You know, he did a three and a half year program, <laughs> right? He didn't take breaks off for summer. Three and a half year program, and he just went about doing good that whole time. Now, what would happen with those folks in his educational school, in his health program, if you will? What would happen? Would it take? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. How shall we neglect so great a salvation which was first spoken, us, spoken to us by the Lord and then confirmed by those who heard him? Well, how was it confirmed by those who heard him? They went about doing signs wonders and miracles. In other words, just like Jesus had done, they did physical acts of healing. They reached people's emotional and mental needs. Even though he was gone, he had said, greater things than these you will do because I go to the Father. And he left, and they began doing exactly what they had seen and what they had taught and what had happened to them. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. Who are you training? Or who are you helping be trained? How many of you recognize that you might move off the scene? I'm not looking. I'm raising my hand. Who are you training? Who are you helping be trained? Is there a bigger work than just you? Jesus trained these people. And then he left. What happened? He dies. I remember the day my grandfather died. That's the day I decided to be a Seventh-day Adventist minister. Because of his acts of physical, emotional, mental healing in my life. Jesus died. What happens? Acts chapter 1. There's emotional healing. They come together in the upper room and people that never talk to each other, they get together because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. There's a power to break through those emotional bonds that have been ruptured before and they come back together. How many of you need to see that happen? Look to the cross. Acts chapter 2, what happens? There's, there's a preaching service that talks about perhaps the best medical missionary, missionary miracle yet. Christ's resurrection from the dead. Can you beat that? And they preach about that. And what happens? 3,000 people say, wait a minute, I know what he did. And Ellen White says that all those acts of healing came to fruition during that time after Christ died because people said, wait a minute, now that he's gone, he's the one that healed me. He's the one that healed my family. And they accepted Christ. They came to him. Sometimes the things we do, we'll never see the result. It might be good for us. Amen? They came to healing, they came to faith, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, what happens? The healing of the man at the gate, beautiful. Why? So he could go into the sanctuary. So he could go into the place of healing. Did you notice how wealthy those medical missionaries were? Silver and gold have I an abundant amount. And so I give to you some out of the overflow. No, no, no. They had given everything for medical missionary work. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. How many of you are here because someone else has sacrificed? And how many of you want to be here to sacrifice for someone else? Acts chapter 4, they still were praying about it. They got in trouble because the, the, the miracle was so great. Wait a minute, Jesus died, he'd healed people. Now these people are healing people, put them in jail. And there was a persecution that came, but I want you to get this point. There was protection that came from medical missionary work. Wait a minute, we better let them out. We fear the people. How many think we need some protection these days? 
Acts chapter 5. Everyone comes to Solomon's porch. They bring everybody. They said, look, here's all these people. And even the handkerchiefs of the apostles had healing properties. How many want your handkerchiefs to get that way? <laughs> it was amazing. They all came to Solomon's porch. How many think we need to see this happen again through the power of God? And it's through the focus on the what? On the cross. And then Acts chapter 6, excitingly enough, Stephen, he says, wait a minute, we need to organize because there was another problem. What was the problem? There was some ethnic disparities. The Hebrews and the Hellenists, uh, the, the, the widows were being treated differently in the daily distribution of food. And so they said, let's appoint some very spiritual men. And they appoint them all. These were the deacons. They could preach, they could teach, they could deal with practical issues. And then what happened? They met all the needs. And they got in trouble for it. What happened? Come on into the office, guys. You're meeting the needs. We're not the people like you. We've got to get rid of you. And what happened to Stephen? He was stoned. But notice what happened. Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. They confirmed the covenant with many for that last half of the week. And then what happened? When Stephen was stoned, the gospel went everywhere as a result of the social ministry that was done. Physical healing, emotional, mental, spiritual healing, social healing. That's why I'm so excited about public events. Public events that help your community. That's why I'm excited about small events in small towns or large events. What's happening around the world might be in Africa where they had this Huge expo and add-on services and people came from all over the continent. It might be pathway to health in a Western nation. But whatever it is, it's bringing social healing. And I noticed something in the media over the last several weeks. Every single time an Adventist official is interviewed, you know what they're talking about. Well, did you see what happened in San Francisco? Did you see what happened in San Diego? Did you see this or did that? God's people coming together to do social healing. How many of you think that needs to go forward? And finally, as a result, what is it that the conclusion of this matter is? And by the way, the entire world was reached in one generation, Colossians 1.26. And then finally, the last picture we see on this journey through this prophecy that ends up not just being some kind of theoretical proof text to do the math, however important that is, but a pattern, a paradigm, a prescription, how to bring revival in my own life and in my own church life, my own family life, a place of healing, physical healing, emotional, mental, spiritual healing, social healing, and ultimately all that stuff is to happen again at the last day by a remnant movement. Daniel 8, 14, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. We have so much opportunity to talk about that now like we've never had before. When we talk about it, fear God, give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. It's preceded by that gospel message. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, every kindred, tribe, tongue, nation, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his Judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of living water. And another angel followed him, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, because you made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath. So, 
How many think this is just a wonderful health message? Last day healing. So these prophecies are not just prophecies that we just leave to the evangelist. Every single clinician, every physician, every nurse, every person in my hearing here that's not like ordained or a part of the clergy, every member should know these prophecies and their practical application. Amen? Daniel 9 being fulfilled in a practical way. Daniel 7, the rest of the Sabbath, being fulfilled in a practical way. Daniel 8, the Day of Atonement, being fulfilled in a practical way. End time Christians who would restore, would be used by Christ because they've been restored, to restore sanctuary health, the restoration of all things at the end of time. Hallelujah. Daniel 9 is not just a prophecy that we should dust away. It should be uncovered and revealed to people. In the news, you know, one of our own is running for public office here, and everything about that person is being scrutinized, even their religious beliefs. And this is not necessarily about this individual anymore. It's really about what the public response is to these truths. And this, these, these attacks, I think you should recognize are the very same attacks you will experience if you have not already. And this attitude is the same attitude you will have to face. But I love this promise. The wrath of men shall praise thee, says the psalmist. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. God means that testing truth shall be brought to the front and become a subject of examination and discussion. Amen? Even if it is though the con there is contempt placed upon it, the minds of the people must be agitated. Every controversy, every reproach, every slander will be God's means of provoking inquiry and awakening minds that would otherwise slumber. How many are thankful that the world is waking up? And that brings me to that key promise. I said I'd come back to Isaiah 58 as we closed. Isaiah 58 talks about the problem. You're preaching, you're praying, but you have no connection with God. You keep the Sabbath day, you preach about the Day of Atonement, but there's no connection. Why? Because you're not involved in looking to Christ and His cross. You're not looking at His righteousness. It has not transformed you, but when it does, His righteousness will be imputed and parted to you, and it will become your righteousness, although you'll point to Him, Amen. Your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your what? Rear guard. I believe we're living in that rear guard time. Here's that wonderful text at the end of the third angel's message. Say it with me. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the what? Faith of Jesus. But flip it upside down. The faith of Jesus that leads to what? Obedience in the context of what? Patient endurance. Now that word patient endurance, I want to end with it. Hupapomone. You know what it means? It was a Greek term. It was used by the Greeks to describe the rear guard action of the military. It was not the vanguard action. It was the rear guard action. You see, in a military unit, you have the vanguard action that goes first. They go in Guns blazing. They're usually the ones, they're the, the heroes that everyone talks about and their vanguard activity. And then you have the flanks on either side and then you have the rear guard. 
And this is the exact term rear guard that was used in Revelation 14, 12. And it's the exact term that's used in Isaiah 58 to describe medical missionary work at the end. It's the rear guard activity. I had a friend of mine, Charlie, in our church in Wichita. He was a tail gunner during World War II. And I asked him, what in the world did you do in the, back then? He says, you know what, I had the most important job because I watched what no one else could see. And that was the enemy coming from behind. And he told me story after story about what had happened as a tail gunner. God has called this generation, I firmly believe, to be the tail gunners for him. Medical missionary work, amen, is called to be involved in the rear guard action of the church at this time. The Greek phallics was the way they overcame their enemies and moved to the next kingdom in Daniel 2's prophecy. But the way that Greek army went forward was the vanguard was there at the beginning with the spears, but the rear guard came afterwards and they would press the others forward. Same with the Romans. Those in front would go forward because the shields behind them were pressing them forward into battle and they would overwhelm their enemies. Are you thankful for those who have gone before us? Are you thankful for the Adventist pioneers? Are you thankful for the reformers? Are you thankful for all the people that laid the foundation for health evangelism? Are you thankful for the Protestant Reformation that bring forward the Bible? We wouldn't even have science without the Bible. Are you thankful for science? And those press us on. They are the vanguard. But we come behind as the rear guard. How many would be faithful in the rear guard as they were in the vanguard? And that end time uh, promise is for, for you. Promise of the right hand vanguard direction and rear guard protection that we just considered in Isaiah 58 comes alive when we consider this final quote that I'll leave with you, although I would love to talk to you about what she specifically says will happen during the Sunday law and in medical missionary work. But I'm going to discipline myself for once. 1202. Here's the final quote. When properly conducted, the health work is an entering wedge, making way for other truths to reach the heart. That's vanguard action. How many of you are thankful for that vanguard action of health evangelism? How many of you have seen it work? You know, that vanguard action is what gave us Adventist Health Study 1. It's what gave us Adventist Health Study 2. It's what gave us the mortality study. It's what gave us all this data that now the government says this is a blue zone people. It's the vanguard action of people who were faithful to revelation. How many of you are thankful for the vanguard action? And then notice how it ends. When the third angel's message is received in its fullness... Health reform will be given its place in the councils of the conference, in the work of the church, in the home, at the table, in all household arrangements. Then the right arm will serve to protect the body. We don't live in the vanguard of Adventism. We live in the rear guard. How many want to be faithful? Where many will fall away, many will fall away. Napoleon's general, who led in his rearguard action, came back three months after Napoleon had won a battle. And when he arrived, they said, who are you? They didn't even know he was. But he was the one who was in charge of the rearguard. They said, where's, where's all your troops? Only, they all were killed. I'm the only one left remaining. 
but he had faithfully executed rearguard action. How many want to stand though everyone else falls? First angel's message, vanguard message. Second angel's message, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. The two flanks fall away from the enemy. But then comes the pivotal, primary, most important rearguard action. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. Where is the cross? The faith of Jesus that leads to obedience in the context of rearguard action. We need a new paradigm in Adventist evangelism. We need a revival. We're living in the end times. How many of you want to be ready? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we're thankful for your vanguard action. You came, you healed the sick, you demonstrated, you came within human flesh, and you healed humanity through your action, your vanguard action. We praise God for that. And in these end times, you promise to come again to receive us to yourself. That final act of resurrection. We want to be faithful. If you see fit to allow us to live through that final conflict, we want to be faithful. It's a part not of the vanguard action, but the rear guard action. Bless us to that end. We come in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.